A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. On episode 34 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, the five leadership roles. And we try to eliminate some of the self-denial of, oh, no, 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 I'm a trailblazer. Or, I coach people great. Or I, you know, I'm really good at kind of the architectural side. Right. Well, you know, let me be a fly in the wall in your office for a week and I'll come back and give you a true picture of what you really do. See where they spend their time, really. Yeah, you say you're a visionary. The truth is you just daydream a lot. <laughs> you're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. Today, Chip and I are in the studio talking about the five leadership roles. We'll describe each role, talk about how they work together, and give you some tips to develop your weak areas. All right, Chip. Back in the studio again? Yes, we are. You know, it's interesting. I, I've brought on a couple of new projects or clients that I've been working with lately. And leadership is one of those things that, you know, it's what our podcast is about. We talk about it. I think about it. I obsess over it all the time and learn new things. And But it always amazes me. The more I study and the more I learn about leadership in general, the more it it reminds me that there are some basic concepts around being an effective leader that will probably never change. Yeah. You know, they're the uh, blocking and tackling skills of leadership. And so I was talking to one of my new clients here recently, and we were talking about what it takes to be an effective leader. And so we were talking about some of the myths of leadership that, Mm -hmm. you know, that you have to be this outgoing, gregarious, you know, (laughs) larger than life person, and that you have to always be positive and an up, beat mood and all those kind of things. And so I was talking about some of the myths and how those aren't necessarily true. And we got into the debate over, you know, are leaders born versus developed and at the different levels. And, and the more I started talking about it and the more we started getting into it, you know, we were talking about how this specific guy spends his day Mm -hmm. and he sees himself as a fairly effective leader. Mm -hmm. Um, and, But then when we started talking about what his day looks like on a regular uh, day, he was talking about where he invests his time, what what he does on a daily basis, and how he was trying to sell me on how over many, many years he's become such an effective leader because of his ability to take his time and focus it around what he considers to be an effective leader. And I quickly went to something we teach in our programs called, you know, that defines kind of the five leadership roles. Okay. And so today I thought I would cover, you know, just in in 30,000 foot view, those five different leadership roles that all leaders kind of, uh, you know, if you look at the skill sets and the the requirements to be an effective leader or a high performance leader, they kind of fall into one of these five buckets Mm -hmm. or these five skill areas. And so I thought I would just kind of go through those today and kind of talk about them. And then I'll kind of come back and show you the how a lot of people believe they're effective leaders, uh, but they really spend a lot of time in one or two areas instead mm-hmm. of kind of the Spreading five. Yeah. yeah. And the difference between more of a traditional leadership style and where you spend time in those categories versus more of a 
a high performing leader and where they invest their time. Mm. So, so with that, you know, there, uh, again, there, there are five kind of main specific, and I'm not going to go through in order. I'm just going to kind of go through them, uh, as I have them written down. No so, particular order. Yeah, no order. So the first one that we talk about is an architect. Okay. And what an architect does is they they kind of standardize and document the policies and procedures of the way the business runs the most effectively, the way the teams run the most effectively. And so they they don't just kind of wing it every single time. They really kind of lay it all out and document it so that there's a path. They like the strategy and the, the logistics side of it. Yeah. And we do an exercise in some of the high performance workshops that we do around, it's called the magic carpet ride. But what we do is we break them up into two different groups and we put them on either side and they, they're given fake million dollar bills. And in these million dollar bills, they have to figure out collectively a way across this big grid that's on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they can't communicate with each other. It's through trial and error. Right. And they, they're given some time up front to kind of create a strategy and then they get into it and they realize that, you know, in hindsight, after they go through the exercise, that that documenting the wins and loses, documenting what's working, what's not working, the quicker we get to documenting, uh, documenting what's going on and putting a system together, the better chance we have of not running out of them. The, the $40 million that was given to us up front, because every time we make a mistake, it costs us a million dollars. So we don't have a lot of money to, you know, to spend here. We can't, we can't just keep making mistakes over and over and over again. They expect that, yeah. you know, it's going to win. And I've seen that exercise a few times and it always starts with people. They think they have a good plan and then they, they realize that maybe their plan wasn't the best or they didn't really decide who was going to be the one calling the shots type yeah. of thing. And in the debrief of that exercise, it's always very apparent that it would have made a lot more sense if we, again, had a strategy, but then we started documenting everything from the very beginning. Right. So when we step one place and it's a bad move, we document that's somewhere we shouldn't go. And when we step somewhere we should, they document that quickly that, okay, this is the right path. Let's document, write it down, share it with others that Don't are going to follow. Don't too many spoilers, People might go through this. I know. Well, I hope they do. But <laughs> that, uh, so the, the architect really focuses on you know, the standardizing and documenting the processes that work and documenting the things that have not worked and why we should avoid those. And then what they do is they align the systems to the strategy and the vision of the organization. So documenting systems and processes just for the sake of it, it might be a good starting point. But if they're not directly aligned to the vision and the strategy and the goals of the organization, then we're probably not spending the right amount of time on, right. you know, doing it. So it, we're going to standardize what's going to help us win. And it's really a good visual too the whole architect idea, like an architect in real life, because they're not the ones necessarily building the building, but they're the ones that have the plan to build the building. They design it. They, right. they listen to the vision of what they want. They go back, they, they create the plan, they standardize it, they tie it to the vision, that, that mm-hmm. picture, so on and so forth. And then another thing an architect does is they, in the leadership roles, they challenge the practices that are not consistent with the core philosophy uh, and mission of where we're headed. So when someone else in the organization will say, well, you know, here's another idea. We should try this or we should try that. Or mm-hmm. here's some other things that we should do. And you have that highly creative team that says, oh, well, let's let's rebrand everything. Let's do, you know, the, the architect is always challenging in a constructive way. Right. You know, how does this tie to the vision and how does this tie to our strategy and how does this tie to where we're headed mm-hmm. in the framework you know, of what we're trying to do and what we've already put together. Cause we don't want to have to 
redo the blueprint every single time somebody comes up with a different idea. Right. You know, we need to see, is it tied to the vision? And, and so that reinforces that positive cultural norms that are set up. And that's the part of the architect is to constantly through spaced repetition, reinforce uh, the, the structure of what we're doing and so on and so forth. And, and then, you know, they're constantly looking at um, how to learn new procedures and new operations to create better efficiencies for the organization. Right. So they're, they're focusing on that side of it. So the second characteristic is a manager. Okay. And a lot of people get confused between managing and leading and, right. and that there's a lot of gray area in there. So what a manager's job is to create plans, schedules, projects, you know, they really direct resources um, to specific assignments, to specific people. Uh, they they decide daily goals and priorities for the people in the organization or on their team, and, and they're really good at, you know, tracking the progress. You know, we want you to move 10 widgets today, and you move seven, so what can we do to improve? And, you know, those kind of things. They, they track the progress. They, they're very um, focused on, let's fill out the reports the way we're supposed to. We, we got to make sure our paperwork's in line. We, they're very task oriented with, uh, those kind of things. They, right. they run meetings, they maintain discipline and order. Um, uh, they tend to fix problems. You know, somebody, they, they say, I have an open door policy. Somebody comes in and said, I have this problem, that problem, this problem, that problem. They fix it. They, they jump fight the fires. They fight the fires every day. And I would even argue and in some of my past podcasts, I, you, you hear me talk about that managers thrive on fixing problems because it validates their role. It right. validates what they do. So, But as we know, in any organization, chaos becomes the norm. Managers become powerful because if, if your organization is in chaos and managers fix problems... There's nothing but fires. There's nothing but <laughs> fires. Managers become the key to fixing every problem. But if managers don't create an architectural structure and develop other people to, to do that and solve problems, then the manager's power becomes stronger and stronger and stronger, but it doesn't eliminate chaos. It just elevates the management role. Because fires will come up. It's a good thing to have firefighters. You just don't want to have to use them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you want to have lots of firefighters, not one yeah, firefighter okay. that everybody has to go to. The third characteristic is what we call the trailblazer. Mm -hmm. Now, the trailblazer, you know, they, they analyze the organization the, in the external environment. They look for trends and changes. They kind of see what's happening, the disruptors and how those are affecting their business. And they're somewhat the visionary that's out looking for, are we still on track? Do our customers care about what we provide? You know, they, they clearly articulate the vision for the future of the organization and for the people that are assigned to that, they, they translate that vision into objectives so that we know, okay, here's the vision. Now here are the objectives, things we have to get done for that vision. They, they impart and enforce simple boundaries. So there's a lot of autonomy in high performing organizations and leaders mm -hmm. believe in giving that autonomy, but they're, they also come with boundaries to where people can't take freedom and autonomy and creativity and all those things as free ticket to do whatever they want, whenever right. they want to do it, that there are some boundaries of, of the negotiables and non-negotiables inside of the organization. So they, they make connections with people outside of the organization. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly kind of looking for new ways to add value to their organization, to their people by creating strong relationships, whether it be with customers or other vendors or other thought leaders, 
They're really kind of on the cutting edge out there. So if I'm thinking about how you're describing the Trailblazer versus the first two, the first two are kind of like inward looking, looking at the company, making sure it's it's running how it should be running. And the Trailblazer is the first kind of thinking outside of the company and expanding upon it. Right. And they're they're constantly comparing to what's going on out there versus what are we doing. Mm-hmm. And they're, they have that ability to to be able to look at both at the same time in mirror and say, okay, here's what I see happening outside of our organization. Here's what I see is going on inside of our organization. Is the boat turned in the right direction or are we sailing away from where everything else is going and how risk adverse are we as an organization? Because they encourage risk-taking and innovation. They're, you know, it's calculated risk. It's not some, we're going to put the entire company in jeopardy by this one guesstimate by the trailblazer, but there's, yeah. there's some calculation to it. I like the example you use of the, the guy that makes buggies, you know, before the cars were invented, if he would have been like, well, buggies are what people buy. So we're going to keep making those mm-hmm. and never look forward to cars, then they'd be out of business now. Yeah, absolutely. So they, you know, they, they kind of, not to use a pun, but they circle the wagons and they become <laughs> internally focused and they're in the preserving of our current business model mm-hmm. instead of renewing and looking at the way the business model, you know, whether they like it or not, things change. Right. And the trailblazer is the person that's out there looking for those things to say, are we still relevant? Are people still paying attention to what we do? I know we like to use them as an example in a lot of things, but like Uber. So they saw that the traditional taxi model needed to be disrupted. So mm-hmm. they created this new model. Everyone's pretty familiar with the the ride sharing ability of Uber. But now they're looking even farther into self-driving cars. So that's them going even a step farther in trailblazing and not being, you know, happy where they are with creating this app that allows other people to drive other people around. Sure. And if you really look at at Uber or Airbnb or Amazon or a lot of these, what they're trying to do is eliminate one piece of the overhead of the value chain. Hmm. So, you know, in a traditional market where you're looking at a cab driver, you know, there's a cab station, there's a cab driver, there's, and you have to buy a license to be a cab driver Hmm. and so on and so forth and very traditional. And so there's an aggregator in there. That's kind of the concept of a trailblazer is looking at all the things that are going on in the environment that are affecting our core business mm-hmm. and analyzing, are we still selling buggies and we're, we're literally preserving what we do because we don't know how to do anything different and, and this business has been good to us and we're, mm-hmm. we're happy with it versus looking at new things, looking at the way the world is changing and saying, okay, should we take some risk here? Should we try some new things? Should we be innovative? Should we, you know, not just get stuck in our own silo in a sense and navel gaze and just focus on ourselves. So, okay. All right. The fourth role is the technician and a technician has a high degree of, of technical proficiency in their role inside of the organization, or maybe the organizations, if they make widgets for a living, they're, they're really good at understanding widgets. They've, they've built widgets for years. They've studied widgets. They know everything about widgets. And so they have a high degree of that. And so they've been moved up in the organization because they're very good at that role. Um, you know, they're sought out for their expertise and to diagnose problems. Mm-hmm. And they have a higher level of analytical skills. So when a problem comes up, they look at it differently than maybe a visionary or, or uh, a trailblazer might. So 
you know, a trailblazer might say, well, if that's a problem, just throw it away. We'll find something different to put in there where a technician might say, well, whoa, 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 you know, we don't need to throw it away. Let me analyze what's going on. How can we change it? They use more of an analytical uh, way of looking at the problem and trying to figure out how to, how to do it. They, they possess typically a higher level of troubleshooting and mm-hmm. problem solving abilities, and they get some reward from that. They like being able to fix a problem. It gives them that self-worth and kudos, pat on the back. Um, they look for kudos from others, but they're, they're not opposed to patting themselves on the back as well, <laughs> which is not a problem. And they enjoy putting out fires. They mm-hmm. enjoy that side of it. They tend to make decisions fairly quickly after they've analyzed it. So they analyze the problem. They say, okay, I've figured out why the, what's going on. All we have to do is do this, 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 and we'll fix it. Mm-hmm. Where others will say, whoa, 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 I understand you analyze the problem. You want to fix it this way. But, you know, let's think about do we want to fix it? Maybe it's antiquated. Maybe it's outdated. Mm-hmm. Where a more technical person says, no, it works fine. You know, we did this. We fixed it. We don't need to... Right. You know, to reinvent it because I fixed the problem. I think a good example of a technician, I was watching a, a crime show and they were analyzing a crime scene. They didn't have any fingerprints, but they found some partial prints on a glass that had been shattered on the ground. So the crime scene investigator was like all excited. Ooh, I can take this glass and I can put it all back together and we can get the full print from the, you know, me reconstructing this glass and the, the the detectives were like that sounds really terrible and the and the investigator goes um well you know i was the kind of person who put together puzzles upside down as a kid this is my thing i enjoy it mm-hmm. and then later in the show when she gets it put together she's like yes she's really excited and everybody else would be like that's kind of mundane but yes. but then then again the investigation hinged on her getting that print so right. it was you know her reward plus her reward of actually like solving the puzzle as mm-hmm. it were yeah, and that scenario that drives them. Right. I mean, they'll they'll take it home on their own personal time and work on it just because it drives who they are. They get reward from that, right. which is which is great. The last of the five is what we call the coach, and the coach is someone who kind of sets standards for behavior and performance. It, they empower people to make decisions and solve problems. They they provide information and training and and support. They're, they evaluate and help individuals grow in their abilities personally, professionally, as parents, as spouses, as you know, uh, members of the community, so on and so forth. They they act more as a mentor, you know, and really help people think through why they do what they do. And you know, emotion drives behavior. So why do you feel mm-hmm. that these behaviors are necessary or not necessary, so on and so forth. They tend to do more of that annual performance evaluation or quarterly, or some of them even like to do it daily. You know, they'll bring their team in individually and go, you know, Randy, how are you doing today, buddy? What's going on with you? How are you feeling? What's, you know, what's on your plate? You know, what can I do to help you? You know, why do you feel stressed all the time? Maybe let's look at what's causing that to happen. And so, they're really more of that, um, I, I don't want to say warm, fuzzy, compassionate side, but they really empathize with their employee and figure out how tuned to... into them. Yeah, tuned into them and say, okay, how can I help you? What can I do? And let's help you, you know, stop doing the stuff that you know isn't positive in your life and let's get you focused on what you should be doing. So I could see where that role would also help the other roles get along. Because, oh, yeah. you know, an architect and a trailblazer might be at odds sometimes because the architect's like, that's not part of our core business. And the trailblazer's like, but we need to move into this new space or we're going to get left behind. And the coach can kind of come in and say, hey, guys, come on, let's work together. Yeah. 
what what I know about this is that leaders should and do uh, should perform all five roles mm-hmm. at some point in the day, their career, their week, their month, whatever it might be. So all five of these roles are critical. They're all important. But in traditional organizations, they tend to emphasize or focus more on management and technician. So they tend to say, okay, you know, they promote people that are technically proficient at the job. So we make widgets. Randy's the best widget maker we have. He's been here the longest. We're going to promote Randy into the widget manager. And now Randy's going to focus on, out of default, management roles. So you're going to make plans and schedules and projects. You're going to direct people and resources. You know, you're going to decide on daily goals and priorities. Okay, here's what we need to work on today and here's why. You know, you're going to track the progress. You're going to, you know, complete all the paperwork and all the forms that need to go with it. You're going to run staff meetings and you're going to maintain discipline and order. You're going to fire people that need to be fired. You're going to hire new people and you are going to manage the production of the widgets because you're the best widget technician we have. You know the most about it. And when you look at all organizations, we tend to reward based on competency and longevity in traditional organizations. Okay, you've been here the longest, you know the most, you, you know you know how to fix the problems. You deserve to be moved into a management position where now you don't have to be a technician, now you manage other technicians. But as you and I both know, the gap between understanding how to do something and leading others to do it, that's a gap. A lot of areas, you know, get lost there. So in our workshops, what I'll do is I'll say, okay, now everybody that's out there, we kind of went through these five leadership roles. Here's what I'd like you to do. And I give them a a sheet that has a blank circle in it and say on a pie graph, I want you to think about your average day, your average week, your average month. And I want you in a pie graph to kind of draw out where you spend the most time on these leadership roles. Mm -hmm. And almost inevitably, almost 100% of the time, they end up in a technician or a manager role. Mm. So they're managing the business or they're really good at whatever the business is. That's why they're in it. That's what they were hired to do. And so they, by default, spend time managing and being in the business where then on the second sheet, I ask them, okay, now I'd like you to redraw a pie graph of these five roles where you believe you would have the largest impact in your organization and where you personally would like to spend more time. Hmm. And it almost 100% of the time never matches what they're doing. (laughs) So when I ask them, okay, well, this is what you do all day long. But when I ask you what will make the biggest impact in your organization, that chart looks different than what you're currently doing. Right. So help me understand why. And it typically comes back to the things that we talk about all the time. And that is, well, we're in reactive mode when we get to the office. We're Mm. someone in chaos where we're reacting to uh, the urgency of the day. We get an email. We get an employee with a problem. Somebody doesn't show up. You know, something breaks. We react to the chaos. It fills our day. We still have to manage the business, manage our team, manage our department. 
And because we are good technicians with high proficiency, people come to us to fix problems. And when you lead multiple people, there's multiple problems, not only personal problems, business problems, machinery, all kinds of different stuff. So it's very easy to let your day get consumed with the chaos. um, And the chaos then, our goal in managing the chaos is just to move us to stability. And managers don't necessarily think in terms of high performance. They think in terms of let's just create less chaos. Right. Let's get things stable. Let's, and so they know they need to spend time in kind of in their architectural role or in the coaching role. They say, okay, this problem continually pops up. I'm a technician. I know how to fix it. But now I have to train and develop, you know, 10 technical reps. I don't know how to get it done. So... I'm going to create a plan to help them. Right. That's kind of leading into architectural, but it's really they create a plan just so they can manage the plan so they don't have to, yeah. you know, spend as much time. I feel like uh, the technical leader could become an architectural leader with some work. Well, the way their brain is wired, yes. It, they could look at it as a problem, but I also feel like they're probably too detail-oriented to think about the organization as a whole. It, it's a, a stretch for a technician to switch gears and become a trailblazer overnight. Mm-hmm. It's closer for a technician to become an architect to an extent, but but the technician to become a, an effective architect has to do a lot of discovery from the visionaries, the trailblazers, the people that are out there to say, okay, here's the technical and you want me to create a architectural plan so that we create more efficiency. But as a trailblazer visionary, you're always changing what (laughs) I'm trying to put together. And so there's frustration. And what's interesting in in a lot of the organizations I've worked with and leaders that I've worked with over the years, the frustration between sales and operations or the frustration between certain departments, certain silos, it always comes down to that people that tend to lean with a, a little higher analytical, technical, architectural mind frame from the visionaries that I work with, the sales teams that I work with, there's a, there's a belief that technicians and architects quickly say no to everything. They, they instantly find the problem in everything that happens. So a, a trailblazer will come in and say, I've got an idea. I've I've seen what the future looks like. Here's where we're headed. And they'll look to the technician or the architect and say, here's what I think we should do. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And what do you think the technician or architect typically starts with? That's going to be really hard or <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. And yep. we have to create this whole new process for that. Yep. I'm not sure. And, and I don't have the the resources or the people, or it sounds like, you know, and they instantly start to think, well, is that going to be piled on top of my day-to-day management responsibilities and technical roles? Or is this something that I'm going to, you know, you're going to pull me out and I'm going to do a side project and I get to focus on this. That's exciting. But, (laughs) but typically in a company that's in chaos, what happens is they just continue to pile the visionary, you know, read a book, went on a trip somewhere, met somebody at an event and comes back and says, guys, I got a great idea. Talk to Chip. <laughs> yeah, talk to Chip. Oh, man, I got an idea. We're going to take a sharp left or a sharp right here. And the technician and the architect says, you know, they go instantly to, 
whoa, this mm-hmm. seems like hard, a lot of work, and it's going to be put on my desk, but you're not going to take anything off of my desk. You're <laughs> just going to add to it. And so, you know, they get into managing not only their team, but now they feel like they have to manage the arc, uh, the, the trailblazer. They have to manage <laughs> the visionary to constantly pull them in and say, right. you know, you're good at coming up with the ideas, but you expect me to execute. Mm-hmm. And if there's got to be a balancing act here. So when you look at high performing leaders and they understand these five roles and they can self-identify where they spend most of their time in these roles and what they really do. And they're, and we try to eliminate some of the self denial of, of, Oh no, no, no. I'm a trailblazer. I coach people. Great. Or I, you know, I'm really good at kind of the architectural side. Well, you know, let me be a fly in the wall in your office for a week and I'll come back and give you a true picture of what you really do. See where they spend their time, really. Yeah. You say you're a visionary. The truth is you just daydream a lot and <laughs> there's a difference between that. So we got to help them understand how these five roles play out, how their organization reinforces these behaviors one way or the other. It either reinforces the management technique, uh, technician role or it reinforces kind of the trailblazer architectural coaching role. So tell me if I'm right here. It seems like to me a a technician can become an architectural type person. A manager could probably become a coaching type person. The trailblazer doesn't seem to have a correlating type. It, It has to do with spending and investing time where you believe you provide the most value for your organization. Mm -hmm. So a trailblazer is someone who's out there looking at trends, you know, they're willing to take some risks, they're willing to do those things. And if you spend 99% of your time as a trailblazer, you lose touch with these other roles and vice versa. If you spend all of your time as a technician and you never look outside of your own uh, four walls, that's a problem. Or you just focus on managing our current situation instead of building a structure where people are encouraged to answer their own problems, fix their own issues. Don't always come to you, the technician or the manager to fix it. And in an ideal high performing organization, there's a balance of all five of these because we, as effective leaders, we, we play in every one of these realms, but uh, high performing leaders and statistically it's been proven they don't focus as much on management and technical because they've developed a team or people below them that do that. They have managers in the organization to be an effective leader. They understand their value is spent more on trailblazing, coaching, and kind of the architectural uh, layout of the organization and not on the day-to-day management and technical doing the work. So I think of like a visionary leader would be like Elon Musk. He wants to go to Mars. He wants to build this Hyperloop. He wants, to, you know, electric cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing he, he's probably somewhat technical, but he's not the technical guy in the weeds. But when I look at someone like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he's kind of the geeky technical type. I'm assuming he surrounded himself with people that can do the parts of the operation he can't. Oh, absolutely. Every high-performing leader becomes more and more self-aware of their strengths and weaknesses because they understand how critical it is. Emotional intelligence, which we talk a lot about on this podcast, is so critical because self-awareness is step one, understanding who you are, what drives you, what motivates you, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and identifying your blind spots, what 
you know, and trying to constantly work at it. And then step two is in that emotional intelligence side is, is self-control or self-guidance of, you know, when I get outside of my natural zone, man, I always seem to fail outside there. So it, not only am I self-aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at, but I also manage those impulses to try and do stuff I shouldn't be doing and, and act out in a way or do certain things. So effective leaders understand, hey, I'm not a technically proficient person, so why try and do it? Why not focus on my strengths, surround myself with people that can help me in those areas, but don't try and micromanage those people. If they're good, empower them. Trust them, understand that that's, you know, in their own right, what gives them satisfaction in their job and motivates them and, and let them be good at what they're good at. And you focus on what you're, you're good at where a manager technician is someone who does the work because they're in chaos and they don't take time to look up and understand that this is never going to change if I don't change. So let's give the folks at home some uh, homework. So we've talked about the five different leadership roles. We kind of, you've already said this really, but I think it'd be really important for people to go back and say, okay, there's the architect, the manager, the trailblazer, the technician, technician and the coach. And the coach. Look at all those five and mm-hmm. say, which ones do you think you are and which ones are you really? Yeah. If you look at how you spend your time. Yeah, if you if you wrote down a pie graph and said, okay, here's where I think I spend most of my time, and then take the next week and actually kind of consciously pay attention to where what you do every day, and by the end of the week, you'll realize that you spend most, spend a lot of time either in the role of doing the job, whatever that job is. If, it's, if you're in the widget business, you spend a lot of time making widgets or thinking about widgets and managing people and problems that come up in a reactive mode, not a proactive mode. You say, oh, well, that's not true. I, I plan out our meetings every day, or I, I make sure we get all of our paperwork done, or so on and so forth. That falls under a management, <laughs> you know, trailblazing. In your week, how much time do you actually coach and mentor other people? In your week, how much time do you actually trailblaze? Look at what's going on outside and trends and how it's affecting you. And and how much time do you spend truly laying out a blueprint, architectural plans of the way from the time the door opens in the morning to the time the door closes at night? What's the workflow? What happens? Who touches each of the products at what stage and why? And is it the most efficient way to do it? And why does it have to go through different layers of quality control or management or so on and so forth? And so it's really that system and process thinking. And when people look at it, they figure out pretty quickly, you know what? I do lean more towards a traditional kind of environment than I do a high performance environment. All right. Well, I want to try this myself. I think I'll do this in, in a future podcast. We can talk about the results. And I'm really interested for all of our listeners out there. Maybe you do it too. You can comment on our, our website, hpleadershippodcast.com or our Facebook or Twitter. Tell us how it's going for you. Tell us what your results are. I mean, we'd be really interested to see what everyone's doing in all their different uh, industries. Yeah, absolutely. And it's part of a workshop that we hold in Every single time I do this exercise with people, it's somewhat of an aha factor. If they really will take the time to study what they're doing and and look at a plan to kind of shift where their focus is, 
it helps them kind of move out of chaos and into, at least at a bare minimum, some stability on their way to becoming a high-performance leader. Excellent. Okay. You have your homework, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Okay. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.